0: Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all here this morning. I'm grateful to be here. For those who do not know me, my name is Tom Sylvia, the associate pastor here. Uh, You probably were expecting Pastor John, but unfortunately, he's sick, and he'll be returning to us next Sunday. He'll even be here on Wednesday. But for now, you'll have me. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, So this is a fill-in sermon. We have been in the book of Hebrews all the way through, it. I'm pretty sure we only have one or two weeks left in Hebrews until we have gone through the whole book. However, John will be finishing that out. And where we go after that, stay tuned. Uh, but with this, I'm going. To, we're going to be taking a quick turn to John chapter five, verses one through seventeen. So, if you have your Bibles, please go ahead and turn there. If you do not have your Bible, then there should be one in the chair in front of you, and it's going to be on page one, one thousand and fifty-seven, one thousand fifty-seven. Here at East Shore, one of the things Pastor John does for us every week so graciously and so well is he does what is called expositional preaching. Expositional preaching, that is, he gets a text and then he goes through that text and he tells us the heart of what the author wanted to convey and then he shows us the glory of Christ and then applies it to our life. We've been doing that through Hebrews and today we will continue with expositional preaching, looking at this story of the crippled man. So what we are going to do is we're going to stand as we read it. So everybody stand up. If you're there, get there quick. The words will be on the screen. You can just follow along as I read it. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 17. Here we go. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. You can be seated. Let me pray as we begin. Father, as we are gathered here, As we are gathered here to hear Your Word proclaimed, I ask first and foremost, Lord, that You just give me the strength to do Your Word justice, to proclaim Your Gospel, to proclaim, Lord, Your Son and the glory of Your Son put on the cross that has died for our sins and His righteousness attributed to us who believe. Lord, help me to be faithful to this message. And Lord, for all of us who are in here, Whether we believe that message or not, may we be just enthralled and consumed by this message. May it give us the encouragement we need to live this week for your glory. Lord, we love you. We give ourselves to you this morning, and we surrender. Help us. This is your time. Amen. Amen. So we've just read a story from the Gospel of John, once again, deviating from Hebrews. So why did John write? When did John write? Well, briefly, he wrote at the end of the first century, around 90 AD. And he wrote specifically to tell his audience all about Jesus. Everything he wrote is about Jesus. In fact, he tells us exactly why he wrote what he wrote in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He wants you to see how the works of Jesus point to the glory of the Father. Jesus is performing these signs, these signs that show that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah that takes away our sins. And in order to accomplish this task, John writes the letter using seven signs specifically and seven I am statements. You'll see in your notes that you have those listed before you and they'll be on the screen. And what we are going to be examining before us today is the fourth of the seven signs, the crippled man. And what is that fourth sign meant to reveal? Well, Jesus is showing us that Jesus is Lord over all creation. And he is a merciful master, restoring and redeeming creation. So... Let us begin to look and explore to get to this meaning, and we're going to do so by looking at two questions posed in our text. We're going to look at the first one that Jesus asks. He asks the crippled man this very question. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? What a question. When you read and you get this man's story, you cannot help but just say, wow what a question. Do you want to be healed? <laughs> Look at this man. Our text says this man is within, was an invalid for 38 years. By invalid it means that this man is a paraplegic. His legs do not work and they haven't for 38 years. Why is this man an invalid? Well, once again our man, the text says this man has committed some sin that has caused him to be a paraplegic. Now, we have to pause. Well, before we pause, let's look at the verse that tells us this. It's verse 14. Look, Jesus was responding to the crippled man after he's healed. Look, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. D.A. Carson, he's commentating on this verse, and he says, The unavoidable implication of this verse is that the bad thing that has already happened to this man was occasioned by the sin which the person must not repeat, okay? So we need to understand the scope of sin. we got to clear this up. Sin not only leads to spiritual death, but it can also lead to physical disability. It, sin impacts every area of our being. There is nothing that sin touches that does not get contaminated. Now, does this mean that if you know someone who is handicapped, that they sinned? No. In fact, Jesus tells us the exact opposite just four chapters later in John chapter 9. Let me read verses 2 through 3. And the disciples asked him, Rabbi, they're looking at a man that is born blind. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Sometimes, handicaps, physical disabilities are just a result of a fallen world. Nobody sinned. There's no direct correlation that we can trace from a handicap to a sin. That is not the case. However, sometimes it is the case, which is what we have before us today. So let me give you a small example to bring this to light. Let's suppose... There is a man that has gone out and been excessively drinking. He drinks so much that he's drunk. And at this party, it's time for this man to go home. What, what does he do? Does he be, do the responsible thing, call a cab? No. Does anybody at this party call a cab? No. So the man says, I'm competent to drive home. He gets his keys and he begins to drive home. While well, on this drive, he's driving drunk. And on the drive, He's not realizing what he's doing. He's swerving, and he drives full force into a tree. Car smashes the tree. All of a sudden, the the paramedics come to rescue him, but they're given the news that, you know what, from the impact and the car crash, you'll never have your legs again. This is the case with our story. You see, it was the sin of debauchery that brought my man, this man in my story, to lose the loss of his legs. The sin was drunkenness. Not some other sin that's touched every single person, but in some cases this happens. Now, what happens also in this example? Well, some people will sober up, in my example, because of the accident. They experience such an event, then all of a sudden they're going to go out and herald the idea of no longer drinking and driving, stay away from drinking at all times. But in other cases, sometimes... A person that experiences that doesn't change. In fact, they continue to drink and to drink and to drink. They continue to seek that comfort which ruined their life. That is what Jesus is telling the man before us today. What was the occasion? What was that activity that made him an invalid? We do not know. Does he go on to repeat it? We do not know. I will say it is very likely this man continues to do that. Because you see, as we read the story, we can deduce from all the little texts and hints within the text that this man lived in his misery, defined himself by his misery, and loved his misery. See, let's look at this man with me. In verse 11, the Jews, When you hear the Jews, you need to think the Pharisees and the scribes, They bring a charge against our crippled man for breaking the Sabbath law. And on the Sabbath law, according to Jewish tradition, you cannot work. And picking up a mat and walking is considered work. Therefore, you are breaking the Sabbath law. Therefore, you are sinning big time. Now, these laws of the Sabbath that the Jews had were not in Scripture, but they were added to Scripture. They were passed down and added and added and added, then impo- imposed on all the Jews. So it was a very, very hard rule to live by. Well, how did our crippled man to respond to such a charge? Well, if you noticed, he shifted the blame straight to Jesus. He said, it was that man who told me to get up and walk. And if you also notice, he didn't even know Jesus' name. You would think that after being healed of such a major malady that he would be able to give you a generous thank you and in return, who are you? But he does no such thing. He just walks away. I don't know who healed me. Some man. I don't know know where he even is. Then let's look at verse 15. What happened after the man finds out that it was Jesus who had healed him? Jesus had to come up to the man and find him. And what happens immediately? What does this crippled man do? He, he goes at once, and he tells the Jews, the Pharisees and the scribes. And then what happens? Their anger burned. Was he going to share the good news of Jesus to celebrate Jesus to these Jews? No. He was going Because he wanted to uphold their law. So he goes up to the Jews and says, This is the man that broke the law. And then the anger within the Jews just grew more and more and more. You see, not all who are healed by Jesus are saved. Not all who are healed by Jesus are thankful for Jesus. Let me give you the example of the 10 lepers who were healed in Luke chapter 17. I'm going to read verses 16 through 19. Luke chapter 17. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. This is one of the lepers, giving Jesus thanks. Now he was a Samaritan, not even a Jew, a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to them, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Only one of the ten lepers believed in Jesus, and what we have before us is another similar instance in John chapter five. If you ever hear someone, I just we just talked to the students about this. If you ever hear someone who says, when you're sharing them about the story of Jesus or about God, and they just respond, "Oh, if God would just give me a sign, then, then I would believe," my friends, that is farther from the truth. They do not need signs to believe. Just read the book of Numbers. What did those people see? A pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire, a mountain Im- immersed in clouds, a talking donkey, snakes being, being healed by looking at a, at, a, at a scepter. The list can go on and on and on. Quail, 105 million quail being rained upon them for food. Yet they didn't believe. The signs were not enough. Do not underestimate the power of sin. If sin were weak, then we would have no need of a Savior. In fact, if we could defeat sin, then we would have no need for the Gospel. John Owen, the great Puritan author of the 17th century, says, Men, people, little consider what a dangerous companion is always at home with them. When they are in company, when alone, by night or by day, all is one, sin is with them. My friends, brothers and sisters, in John chapter 5, we have a sinner who is in love with their sin. I'm going to once again paraphrase D.A. Carson's description of this crippled man. He says, this crippled man is a crutchety, grumbling, old, and not so perceptive man. And in fact, this whole idea fits into the greater theme of John's gospel. You know, he has these seven statements, these seven signs. But John also uses what is called dualism. Dualism. Dualism is where an author takes two contrasting ideas to bring about a point of clarity. Okay? So John is showing the difference between our sin and God's holiness all through his letter. As you read, John, in your own time, take note. There's light, there's darkness, life and death, earthly and heavenly. Okay, those are just some of the words, but he also does this with the stories themselves. And our story is to be contrasted with the healing of the man born blind. Let me just give you a couple. The crippled man in our story had sinned that led to his handicap. The man that was born blind had no sin. The crippled man in our story was trying to get into a pool to be healed. Jesus just spoke, and he was. The blind man, what did he do to be healed? He went to a pool to wash. The crippled man in our story just left Jesus after being healed to go, and Jesus had to go find him. The man born blind came back and found Jesus. The crippled man didn't even know Jesus' name, but the blind man goes out and proclaims it. The crippled man ran to the Jews to agree with the Jews. The blind man spoke out against them. Oh, and there's more. There's more that could be said. But the point can be made here that dualism is a part of John's writing styles. And these two stories we have before us are intentionally different. Well, do not think that this man is a great example for us to be Christians. He is not that example. He's a great example of the great strength and power of our sin, and we need a Savior to help us combat our sin. That is this man. So, let's look even further. Let's continue to analyze Jesus' question. Do you want to be healed? It should be an emphatic yes. Look at the man. Consider his misery. One of my good friends just passed a couple of months ago his 40th year of being a paraplegic. This man was a paraplegic for 38. And I've talked to him about this story before. And... Every couple of years, his body is aching. He's having surgeries all over his shoulders because of the ins and out of lifting himself out of a chair. He cannot sleep more than two hours because you have to force yourself awake to move around it at night. You he, he, he's, he struggles as he eats. And also what is very common for someone that becomes a paraplegic is they experience shocks. And he experienced shocks for the first 10 years of his life as a parablegic. And he described it as the worst pain he has ever experienced in his whole life. And it wasn't until the 1980s that the doctors actually found a cure, a procedure to take care of the shocks. And it was very common. Not all people who lost the feeling in their legs had those, but it was very common for those who did to have them. And my friend lives in Texas the greatest healthcare the world has ever seen, Texas. Imagine the experiences of this paraplegic compared to him. No wheelchair, our paraplegic just drags himself to reach a pool, no friends, never able to make it to the water because he's too slow. Highly likely a lifetime of phantom pains, no cure. This man was poor, a loner, The world did not stop to lend him a hand for anything. All five of his senses reminded him daily of his misery. (laughs) His only hope was to get in a pool when there was a stir. That was his hope. And when you read the story, you can only ask, how many times did he witness the pool being stirred just to be outran by someone else, to see that person go into the pool to come out healed, How many times did he drag in an attempt to get there to be outrun the labor for a possible fool's hope? How many opportunities of envy, of jealousy? How many opportunities of anger because it wasn't him? Because it's never going to be him. 38 years, brothers and sisters. Imagine this man's identity. Imagine what he thinks of himself. What value does he think he has? He is the epitome of hopelessness. That is the man we have before you today. That is the man that Jesus walked up and asked the question, do you want to be healed? In verse 6, our text says that Jesus already knew this about the man. Everything that we I have just said, Jesus knew about it. And Jesus knew that this man had been there a long time. And yet he still asked this question do you want to be healed? Of course He does. Who wouldn't want to be? Not as many as you think. Do you want to be healed? You see, this man, this, this Jesus is asking this man if He wants to be healed physically. However, this story is more than just telling us that Jesus can heal our physical infirmities. This is a reference to our spiritual depravity. How many of us are trapped in our sin? I know I'm angry, but there's nothing that can be done if people would just listen to me if I had more money. I know I shouldn't seek after such immorality if I had a spouse, if my wife or my husband would just do this. I know I'm not supposed to hang on to bitterness for this or that person. If they wouldn't, or if they simply would have just done this, then I would let it go. If, if, if. Obadiah, verse 3, the pride of your heart has deceived you. The sin of your heart has deceived you. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to kill the sin that lies comfortably in the chambers of your heart? Do you want to dethrone your sin or do you love it there? That is the question that this man is being asked you may be thinking, it's not that bad, Tom. It's not that bad. Sin isn't the worst thing in the world. It's OK. <laughs> that is the lie sin wants you to believe. The man, 38 years, is invalid. We look at his story. He thought the same thing about his life. But as you and I reading this, we cannot think of a worse fate. <laughs> John Owen, once again, he. He wrote a book called The Mortification of Sin. I think it's a must-read for every believer. He says, Let not the poor soul that walks in sin ever think that they will have true and solid peace. Let me read that one more time. Let not the poor soul that walks in sin ever think that they will have true and solid peace. They are more concerned with the trouble of sin than the pollution and uncleanness that accompanies it. They shall call the Lord Jesus for mercy, but they still keep the sweet morsel of sin under their tongue. What do you want more? The comfort of this life or the glory of Christ? Tom, I can't let my sin go. You don't understand me. This isn't like some example that we can think of. This isn't a hypothetical. This isn't that person, because I know that person. This is me we're talking about this unique me. When Jesus asked our crippled man this question, do you want to be healed? The Greek is worded in such a way that it is conveying that the man is annoyed at the question and annoyed at the person asking the question. He is annoyed with it. That's why he gives some excuse of an answer. In his mind, all hopes of ever being healed were non-existent, 38 years. He thought the question was stupid. And I think there's rightfully so. Perhaps some of us in here have a similar thought. The very thought of being healed from your sin is foreign, impossible. Considering to be healed to kill your sin just makes you irritable you know it can't be done. All of us have been there before. All of us have thought healing was impossible. If your life is in Christ, we were there. We were there. The ability to turn our life from sin was a fairy tale. (laughs) But we're not to be dismayed because we have a powerful story of good news in the gospel for the children of God. For the, doubting, for the doubter listening, and for those who need a fresh reminder of the Gospel because of a struggle of a current sin, there is healing and there is healing in abundance. Now we have to consider this other question. We're going to leave our question now. We're going to consider the other question that was asked in our story. And this was by the Jews in verse 12 to the crippled man. Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed, and walk. Who is this man? Jesus. We thought that the question, do you want to be healed, was profound. It pales in comparison to how we answer this question. Who is Jesus? If the answer to this question does not compel you to a yes to Jesus' question, do you want to be healed, then nothing will. You will never find peace or comfort or joy or any satisfaction in this life or in the one to come. So let us glorify our Lord and see who Jesus is. Let me read verses 3 through 6 again. "In, In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time. The text says a multitude of invalids, but yet the all-seeing eye of Christ points his eye directly to one man. One man. He knew in his divine omniscience the experience of the 38 years, and he also knew in his omniscience the experience after He was soon to perform a miracle. He knew that he was about to get no visible sign of gratitude from this man. But yet, in the abundance of mercy, he asked this man if he wants to be healed. Then he patiently listened to this excuse of an answer. Jesus did not coddle him or correct this man. He did something even better. Jesus and every word indeed glorifies the Father, exalts the Father, and by lavishing his incomprehensible love and compassion upon his creation, this Jesus gave this man a command. <laughs> a command to walk. Brothers, when our Lord gives us a command, it is always accompanied by the power and the promise to perform it. And this crippled man did just that he walked. The very command that put the stars into the motion, the voice that thundered from Mount Horeb, and the word that is being declared by all creation gave this man a command. And he gives us a command too. He speaks to us too. For the first time in 38 years, this crippled man could feel the chills running up and down his spine. All because of this man. Called Jesus. Listen, bear with me for a minute. I'm about to read a montage of Isaiah, how he describes Jesus. It's too many verses for you to be looking up and following along, so just put your notes down and begin to listen to how Isaiah describes Jesus. These are taken from verses, chapters 29 all the way through chapter 60. Here we go. Draw near, O nations, to hear. Give attention, O peoples. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. They, His children, us, shall see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. Sing for joy, O heavens! Exult, O earth! Break forth, O mountains, into singing! For the Lord has comforted His people, us, and will have compassion on His afflicted us. The ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, our heads. They, we, shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I, Jesus, I am He who comforts you. Behold, Jesus shall act wisely, He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and His form beyond that of the children of mankind. He had no form or majesty that we should look at Him and no beauty that we should desire Him. Jesus was despised and rejected by men, by you, by me, by men, all of us. Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, He was despised. Surely He has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yours and mine. He was pierced for our transgressions, for your sins and for mine, for our iniquities. And upon Jesus was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. This Jesus poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet, he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for these transgressors. For a brief moment, I deserted you, but with great compassion, I will gather you. In an overflowing anger, for a moment, I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you. In his righteousness... Christ's righteousness through His blood we will be established. We shall be far from oppression for we will not fear and we will be far from terror. It will not come near us. Hear the compassion. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come, The Spirit of the Lord is upon Jesus because the Lord our God has anointed Him to bring good news to the poor. The Lord has sent Jesus to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberties to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Behold, He creates a new heavens and a new earth. Be glad and rejoice forever. Who is this man Jesus? He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the radiance of the glory of God, our King, our Savior, our Lord, our refuge, our stronghold, our strength, the horn of our salvation, the one who upholds justice and extends hands of mercy. He is a great God and King who died for our sins. He has looked upon each one of us as sheep without a shepherd and as ones abandoned. And it was while we were in that state, He died for us. It was while we were in that state that He demonstrated this infinite love for us. It was while we were in the state of this crippled man that he said, my blood is yours. <laughs> Who is this Jesus? Do you want to be healed by Jesus? Do you want to be freed by Jesus? Do you want to forsake your sin for Jesus? Jesus? Do you want to be destroyed by your sin or restored by the Son of God? Our invalid, he loved his sin more than this Savior. 38 years. He couldn't escape it. You, me, we cannot escape our sin. We have foolish hopes of a a stirring pool. Give it up. There's only one man that can heal us. That is Jesus. If you said, oh, I want to be healed by Jesus. If you said yes, but are still <clears throat> not sure how, the answer is simple. You cannot. You have to let Jesus do it for you. You do not have the strength to redeem yourself. You cannot set yourself free. You have to embrace the Gospel. I already believe the Gospel, Tom. I already have that, and I still need help with my sin, Tom. How do I conquer these desires? How do I conquer this sin that's just consuming me? Brothers, sisters, you can never outgrow the Gospel. You need the gospel. The gospel is the same cure from new birth to the new resurrection. And even in eternal life, we will still be held on and held true because of the gospel. Is sin plaguing you? Embrace the gospel. That is where you will find your freedom. It's that easy. But you have to abandon your self-righteousness and embrace the righteousness of Christ. Without doing that, you cannot say yes to healing. Who is Jesus? He is our great God and Savior. The God who sees you. The God who wants to heal you and has offered his blood to do so. Do you want to be healed? by Jesus let me pray Lord we know our sin is great in fact Lord we don't realize how great our sin is we believe the lies that we our sin is not that bad we believe the lies that we can overcome our sin ourselves Lord forgive us for that Lord, help us, reveal to us the depth of our depravity so we can understand more the reach of your love. Lord, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for giving us your blood and washing away our sins. Thank you for healing us. And thank you that you are our God and our Savior. We love you, Lord. Amen.